Nobody can get like a crowd to clap more than Dave McCune, right? <laughs> Good morning, everybody. My name is Katie Wilson, and I am a ministry coordinator here at Trinity. It's really good to be in the house of the Lord together. The first thing I want to say is happy Father's Day. If you're a father to one of those kids, there's like a million that just ran out of here. We want to say happy Father's Day. We want to bless you and honor you. And we also recognize on a day like today, Father's Day can be kind of complicated. Maybe some of you have lost your father, or you don't have the kind of relationship you desire. Or maybe you're a dad here who you don't have a relationship with your kids like you would want. So on today, we recognize it can be complicated, and if, that's, if your heart's heavy today, we stand with you. And if today is a day of joy and celebration, we are with you. We want to always be the kinds of people that can rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And in addition to today being Father's Day, we want to acknowledge that tomorrow is Juneteenth. Like Sarah so beautifully led us in prayers of the people, we want to celebrate that in 1885, federal troops got to Galveston, Texas, two years after the proclamation, to announce freedom for all people. So we want to be people that will celebrate the freedom for our black brothers and sisters and recognize that we have a history of being on the wrong side of slavery as Christians. So while we celebrate freedom, we do repent and lament. And we also believe that freedom still doesn't exist for all people. So as Christians, we want to be the kind of people that continue to lean into justice, into freedom. And so my encouragement is tomorrow on Juneteenth, take some time to think about it. Happy Juneteenth, my friends. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. And as is our rhythm each week here, we're going to read from the Bible we're going to pray and see what the Lord has for us. So we're going to begin in verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Like those words Sarah sang earlier, we believe that we were made to hear from you. Would you open our ears and our hearts? Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So this summer, we're spending a chunk of our summer in the book of Romans. And like Chris mentioned last week, Romans can be this book that we just like live in our heads in because Paul can like make these intricate arguments and but then we don't actually let it seep into our hearts and our lives. So my encouragement today is let's not stay in our head. Let's let this move into our, our bodies, our lives. And as we begin our passage today, Paul starts with the word therefore. And if you see the word therefore, whether you like it or not, what comes before matters. So we have to think about what has Paul been saying these first four chapters? And truly, Paul says a lot of things in those first four chapters. But the the primary thing we need to know at this point is he's been building this argument for justification by faith. That if we believe in Jesus and his death and his resurrection, we are made right with God. In our passage, we see this like shift in tone where Paul's no longer trying to make an argument or convince us, but rather is telling us what are the benefits when we are justified with God? What are the benefits when we're made right with him? And he tells us the first benefit we have is that we have peace with God. And that word with actually matters because it's not like this internal peace. It's this peace of like a reconciled with God. We who are sinners are now can be in relationship with God. We can have peace with him. And then Paul says that we can also have hope. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time together today is talking about hope. Hope is this expectant longing for something, this belief that fulfillment will come, that there will be goodness. And I got to just be honest with you guys that hope feels really hard for me sometimes. That I look at the pain in the world and in my life and the lives of those I love, and it's really hard for me to see goodness, to believe that goodness is coming, to believe that God is working, to believe and hope is really hard for me. If you've been around, you know that one of our favorite scholars around here is N.T. Wright, and he wrote this book called Surprised by Hope, which is a great book. But I always say if I were to write a book on hope, it would be called Triggered by Hope. (laughs) Truly. Because it's real. Anytime something feels hopeful, I feel triggered. And I go to two places, and maybe you can relate with me. On one end, I sometimes go to where I deaden hope. I kill desire because I don't want to feel the ache of pain, the ache of longing for something that might not happen. I don't want to feel it, so I deaden desire. Or if I choose not to do that, I go towards cynicism. I'm like, it is foolish to hope. I was such a fool to think that goodness could come out. And sometimes in Christianity, we can kind of uh, justify cynicism where we're like, well, we live in a broken world. And while that's true, I don't think deadening hope or cynicism are the way we're meant to live. And so all week, I've been wrestling, like, how do I preach a sermon about hope when I'm wrestling with it? And so I stand before you today as somebody who's wrestling. 
like leaning into that hope feels hard. And if you can relate, I'm with you. And if you're walking into the space feeling really hopeful, bless you. I need you. And the people around you need you. I believe that we are meant to have hope and community. There's been people in my life who, when hope has been hard, have held on to that torch of hope for me. And I hope that in different seasons, we each get to hold on the torch for those around us. So I've been wrestling, and Lord, I, I literally want to fight Paul in every verse in this chapter. But I came to this point where I was like, Lord, I believe that you speak through the Bible. I believe that your spirit is working. I believe in this faith. So show me how these words can be true. Show me. And so my hope today is that we wrestle together with what Paul says about hope. And the first thing we see Paul talk about with hope is he says we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And that word boast here, you know, we usually think like a negative connotation for boast, like don't boast. But what Paul's talking about is this joyful confidence. This joyful confidence. And this hope of glory that he talks about is that ultimately we will, those of us who believe in Jesus will live in a redeemed and restored world. That death will be no more. That tears and fear will be no more. That these bodies that are decaying will be resurrected. That we will be in the presence of God fully. And I sometimes forget in my day-to-day life of, you know, a million things going on that I have a story that's headed somewhere. That we have a story that's moving towards goodness. There's hope in that. And I hear Paul say that, and I'm like, okay, Paul, I can get on board with that. But then he says something else that feels a little harder for me. He says, and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so we see here Paul's second point, that suffering can ultimately lead to hope. Which I hear in my guttural responses, like, in what world is that true? In what world does suffering lead to hope? It leads to despair. And it feels so counterintuitive to me, it doesn't make any sense. But then I'm like, Lord, show me how this can be true. And so in that verse, he talks about we boast in our sufferings. That doesn't mean we boast in our sufferings as in, like, it's not really suffering, it's all good, peppy optimism. That's not what he's talking about. Nor is he saying that we should, like, relish in our suffering, like there's a badge of honor if we suffer the most. He's saying, in our suffering that feels like suffering, really hard, that's where we boast. And he talks about, in our suffering, it produces endurance. And if we think even, you know, zoom out surface level about exercise, which is always suffering, right? (laughs) That that produces endurance, that there's a strengthening in us. And the suffering that we go through in our lives produces this kind of steadiness, this fortitude, this perseverance. 
And I don't believe it's like we white knuckle and we get our way through it and we're going to be people who endure. We don't create endurance. We don't produce it. Paul says suffering produces endurance. And then he talks about how endurance produces character. And in the Greek world, when they talked about character, it was like etching a marble stone, like creating and substantiating a kind of person. And so Paul says when we suffer and when we, we endure, that it creates in us the kinds of people that we're meant to be. And then he says, and character produces hope. And I really don't believe that this is some like super linear, neat, tight, packaged reality. I think it's something that doesn't make sense, but it's mysterious. But what I do know is that in the deepening of suffering, somehow hope is born. And I have seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of those around me, that suffering can produce hope. I grew up in Colorado, which is where my parents still live. I think they're watching now. Hi, guys. Um, and yes, I say Colorado, not Colorado, but you can say it however you want. But I grew up in Colorado, and I have a younger sister named Emma. She's three years younger than me. And when I was seven, my younger brother James was born. And James was the sweetest little baby. Like, he had this toothy grin and this giggle that was contagious. Like, you couldn't help but laugh when he giggled. And pretty soon after James was born, we found out that he had a liver disease. And I remember being eight at that time and praying that James would be healed. And I hoped for it. I believed with every fiber of my being that James was going to be healed. I remember uh, imagining, like, driving him to soccer practice. Like, I don't know why that was, like, the pinnacle of, like, I'm going to be able to drive him to soccer practice. And I had, we had this, we called him Moose because he was really small, but we had hope that he was going to grow to this big, strong man like a moose. And I remember having this hope that maybe if he needs a liver transplant, I could give my liver to him. I, had, I prayed and I prayed and I hoped. And right before James's first birthday, he died. He died in what was supposed to be a minor surgery. And I was devastated. My world was rocked. How, how could God let my brother die? And I, even as a young eight-year-old, was warring with that, was warring with the hope in that. Yet I know that James's death and his life have formed me. I think I'm the kind of person that doesn't run away from pain in other people's lives because I've been there. And I, even though I war with hope, I can see the hope in that. I, a couple months after James died, I went to summer camp and I remember the speaker was talking about like Jesus and heaven and accepting him into your heart, you know, the deal. And uh, <laughs> I remember just was like, this feels so obvious, right? Like James is in heaven 
And all I want is to be with him again. And if you're telling me that accepting Jesus in my heart leads to heaven, then I'm in. No brainer. And in this really innocent and true way, James and his death and that suffering led me to hope in Jesus. And now does that like tie up in a neat bow? No, my brother was dead. And I still even now think about what my life would look like if I had a 21-year-old brother. And that hurts my heart. And when I think of a redeemed world, I think the first, like what I'm most excited for is to hear Jesus' laugh. Like I think Jesus' laugh is going to be the most pure, amazing laugh we've ever heard. But a close second is I can't wait to hear my brothers laugh again. And I say that with a hope that feels achy and expectant. A hope born out of suffering. So again, I don't, it doesn't, it's not like a formula, it doesn't make sense to me, but I've seen in my life suffering producing hope. And then Paul goes on to say, like right after this, he says, and hope does not disappoint. And immediately I'm like, Paul, what? I joked with a friend, I was like, I'm going to take a poll of the audience and be like, who indeed feels like they've been disappointed by hope? You know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I'm like, I for one have been disappointed by hope. Paul, what are you talking about? And I'm so thankful that the Lord is patient with me, even though I like reject the first time I read any of it. Uh, because he sits with me and I am like, well, what if it's true? What if hope doesn't disappoint? And thankfully, in that verse, there's not a period right after hope does not disappoint. It goes on to say, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Hope does not disappoint because of the love of God. The hoping for my brother to heal isn't what led to the disappointment. The circumstance, yes. Beyond disappointing, it was devastating. But it wasn't the hope. The hope was actually my eight-year-old self believing in the goodness of God and saying, children shouldn't die. That's not the way things were meant to be. And that is a good hope. Yet our circumstances do lead to disappointment. We don't have to pretend that that's not true. We don't have to pretend that we don't live in a world where terrible things happen. The hope doesn't mean we ignore that. And I don't know if you can think about times of suffering in your life where there's been pain. And I wonder if you've experienced the love of God in those places. And if you're in that place right now, my hope is that in that tension of hope that you do experience the love of God. You do experience hope. And a hope that ultimately doesn't disappoint us. 
And the last thing about hope that Paul talks about is that Jesus is our living hope. In the last verses, Paul says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. And then I feel like he just kind of muses and was like, well, maybe for a good person somebody might die. But then the key is, but God proves his love for this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That while we were weak, and in times when we have no hope, in all of our humanity, that's when he died for us. He didn't, we didn't have to like muster up this hope and be like, yeah, Jesus. No, he died for us while we are at our weakest. And what I see Paul saying is that Jesus is our living hope. It's not just we put our hope in Jesus, but he himself is our living hope. That in his body it holds both death and resurrection. That Jesus going to the cross and dying was suffering, and on the other side was resurrection. There was hope. Suffering produces hope. And then, because he was resurrected, because he conquered death, Hope doesn't disappoint. Life wins. Resurrection is more real than death. That's our hope as Christians. And sometimes it can be hard, right, to believe that God loves us. But Paul tells us the proof we need is the cross. The proof that you and I need to believe that Jesus really does love us is seen on the cross. So maybe, maybe it doesn't make sense to hope. But it doesn't make sense in the same way it doesn't make sense that God's rescue plan would mean Jesus dying on a cross. In the same way it doesn't make sense that Jesus would be raised from the dead And in the same way that the Holy Spirit launched the church 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about it. That doesn't make any sense. But apparently, God's not in the business of making sense. I've tried really hard, but it doesn't work. And we see, God says in Isaiah, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than my thoughts, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. His ways are higher. Even if it doesn't make sense, that doesn't mean it's not true. Even if I want to fight it. Even if it doesn't make sense. doesn't mean it's not true. Light wins. Freedom wins. Hope wins. And I don't think we are just made to have this like ultimate hope and then trudge through the like day-to-day life and hope for nothing. I think it's good to hope for things in this life. It is good to hope for that job. It is good to hope for that marriage to be restored. It is good to hope for people to heal. We are created with longings and desires. That's good. But there's this crucial difference between what we hope for 
and what we hope in, between what we hope for and what our hope is. And if Jesus is our living hope, that means we can have hope for things that make us see the goodness of God and the land of the living. We can hope for things that make this world more as it was meant to be. That can't be where our hope is in. And my last thought for us is that when we're wrestling with hope, it's not just this ethereal idea. If Jesus is our living hope, then hope is a person that we can duke it out with. That Jesus can handle our disappointments. He can handle our anger. He can handle our sadness and our confusion. And he can be the one that brings joy and hope. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you're walking in this space feeling very hopeful or pretty hopeless. And maybe you're in this space and you're, you're like, I don't even believe in Jesus. I'm telling you, he's the hope. But regardless of where you find yourself with hope, my encouragement with you is to take it up with Jesus. Take it up with Jesus. Because he is our living hope. He is the hope that doesn't disappoint. He is the hope that brings life. Jesus, would you give us the ability to hope? Jesus, we believe and help us in our unbelief to believe that you are our living hope. Amen. Amen. Before we come to the communion table, I have a few questions uh, for reflection for us. Just to spend a couple of minutes. My guess is you're not going to wrestle with hope in two minutes, but maybe you can get the wheels turning. I mean, these questions are, what's your relationship with hope like? And be honest. And then what does it mean in your life for Jesus to be our living hope? Nate will come up to preside over communion after a couple of minutes. Bless you.